This morning, I'm excited to bring the word. It's been a little while. I think it's been three weeks since I preached last. So I kind of was like, you know, talking to Lord Smith this morning saying, this is cool. I haven't done this for a while and, and I'm excited. All right. So um, this morning, I want to bring a message called the why factor. What's it called? The Y Factor. I think just recently the reality TV show The X Factor has started again, or maybe they're doing auditions at the moment. Um, but I wanted to bring a message called The Y Factor. And like I usually do, I usually ask the Lord, what is, what is the type of message or the teaching from the Word that he, wanted, he wants me to bring to bless our church community, to strengthen us, sometimes maybe to rally us, sometimes maybe to encourage us, sometimes to challenge us. Uh, the Lord, at different times through the Word of God, will bring different reasons or angles as to why He wants to bring certain teaching. And so this morning, I feel that uh, this Word um, is specifically about rallying us. What do we mean, mean by the word rallying? It's kind of like uh, encouraging us, boosting us, strengthening us, uniting us, helping us to, to, to move forward, to continue moving forward. Who knows that life isn't easy? Anyone realize that? Uh, life is, is not easy. It can be challenging at times. And so we want to talk about some things around uh, something that I hinted at a little bit in the giving message was that I think in life we can uh, always kind of focus on what we're doing, but it's not always easy to keep rem- reminding ourselves about why we're actually doing it. And when we're doing something because we know what to do, but we've forgotten why we're doing it, who knows that the what we're doing starts to feel a little bit dry or starts to feel a little bit boring or starts to feel a little bit religious or starts to feel a little bit routine. Who knows that, right? Uh, if you're married here, you would know what I'm talking about because when you first get married, you know not just what you're doing, but you know why you're doing it. <laughs> you're in love, right? And then you can go through seasons of being committed to someone and you still know what you're doing. Okay, I'm married to this person, and but, but why? Why am I committed to this person? And I think it's really important for us when we have that sensing that, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, but Why? Why, 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 why am I doing this again? What, what's, what, what, what's the reason why? What's the purpose behind the sacrifice? What's the purpose behind why I have to be committed? What's the purpose behind why I have to kind of go through some challenges? Why I have to sometimes die to self? Why I have to sometimes make choices that I don't like doing because my flesh would like to do something? What's the why? What's the purpose behind? Because the purpose and the why always becomes the kickstarter of the fuel that you need to break through any frustration or whatever it is to continue doing what you're called to do or what you're supposed to be doing. And so it's about the why factor. Everyone say the why factor. Okay, so this morning I wanted to start with a scripture uh, from Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at uh, certain chapters, but we're going to mainly focus on Matthew chapter 16. And I want to kind of throw out the question today, why the church? Why the church? Why are you the church? Why would you be interested in the church? Why would you be called to love the church? Why would you go to church? Why would you attend church? Why would you be called to be involved in church? I had someone sent me recently a Facebook private message. And I love this person because they're inquisitive and they're really hungry to go on God. So they'll send me messages every now and then. And this person said, Pastor Brad, can you help me out here? Um, why, why, why do we go to church? Question mark. And uh, what I like to do sometimes is I like to put my coaching hat on 
Uh, if I had my mentoring hat on, I would have just probably sought, uh, you know, searched the scriptures myself and kind of given them a couple of bullet points and said, here, this is why we go to church. Uh, um, but I felt not to. I felt to put my coaching hat on and say, hey, why don't you find three or four scriptures in the Bible uh, that will help to answer that question, will give you insight. You go and seek the answers from the Word of God yourself and let me know what you come up with. Uh, and sometimes I'll do that. As a pastor, I won't always give you the answer because I'm following the model of leadership of Jesus and I'm definitely not perfect at it, although Jesus was. And Jesus didn't always give the answer to people. Sometimes he, he challenged you to seek the answers or he'd ask a question to provoke thought and to provoke you for, to searching your own soul or your mind for the answers to, to see if you could actually equip yourself to receive the revelation rather than him just giving you it. And so sometimes as a pastoral leader, uh, you know, I will give the answer and sometimes I, I won't. I'll actually encourage someone to seek the answer for themselves. Amen. Who thinks that that's healthy? Yeah, cool. And so why the church? Now, this, this message today, uh, and I want to say this is a positive thing, is not just all about the church. Everyone say amen to that. Uh, a lot of this message is about Jesus. Okay, it's about Jesus, it's about the guy that we love, it's about the God that we worship, it's about the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the guy who rules the kingdom, the one that we bow down to, the one that we've given our life to. It's about Jesus, the ultimate answer, the way, the truth, and life. Who thinks that should be the center of most of our messages, if not all of our messages in the house of God? So I want to say, even though I've said why the church, please, if you sometimes get sick of hearing messages about the church, but they don't really talk about Jesus, that is not one of these messages. Amen. So we want to look at, at Jesus today as a way to help answering the question about why the church. Because I think sometimes we know what we're supposed to be doing, but we forget why and why we're supposed to be relating to the church and why we attend church and why we should be committed to the church and why should we be involved in church and why. Let's look at Jesus. So the question why the church, it's a question where we're going to explore today as we look at this text. And as we turn to Matthew chapter 16... I want to actually frame the answer. We're going to answer this question, why the church? We're going to frame the answer um, when we actually look at a question that Jesus asked. Jesus asked a question, who do you think I am? Everyone say, who do you? Everyone say, think I am. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. So Jesus has been traveling around this time, preaching, and the text tells us that he comes to this region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples a question. So he has his coaching hat on. Look at, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Verse 14, they replied, and this is what they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So what's interesting is Jesus left an impression about him and who he was on the culture of the day. When he was Particularly in that, that three-year time in ministry, he definitely left an impression. But people thought they knew who he was. And so the scriptures actually says, when the disciples are answering the question, who are people saying that I am? Some said, he reminds me of John the Baptist. And do you realize that John the Baptist and Jesus were related? Does everyone know that? John the Baptist and Jesus were related. In fact, they, if, you, if you look at when they compared Jesus to John the Baptist... 
because they were related, they probably looked a little bit similar, maybe not exactly the same, but they looked a little bit similar. But they also preached a similar message. They preached about that the kingdom of God is, is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And uh, John the Baptist preached that type of message. Jesus had a lot of that focus on his message as well. So when Jesus asked the disciples, who, who are these people saying that I am? The disciples said, well, some of the people think that you're kind of like John the Baptist. They shared a common appearance. They shared a common message. So that kind of makes sense why some people would have thought that. So some of them would have said, well, he kind of reminds me of John the Baptist. But others also said, well, he kind of reminds me of Elijah. And that's an intriguing comparison because if you look at um, the Jewish culture of the time, if you think about them comparing or thinking that he might be like Elijah the prophet, uh, if you look at the traditions of the Jewish culture, particularly around Passover time, what they did was when they all sat down as a family, they would particularly always at the table where they ate Passover, they'd always have a spare place at the table and a spare seat. And usually if one of the Jewish children would say, you know, mom or dad or brothers and sisters, why do we have a spare seat where no one's sitting in a, in a spare place? And the response would be, well, this is the spot, that's a place for Elijah. So the Jewish tradition was, was that they believed that Elijah at some point would turn up or show up. And so they'd always have a place there that no one could sit. Just in fact, he turned up because for the Jewish culture at the times, that if Elijah the prophet turned up, that would be a key sign before the Messiah coming. And so it was the hope of every Passover that Elijah would come to dine with his people. Why? Because traditional Jews believed to this, and they still to this day, that the coming of Elijah uh, would be a prelude to the coming of the Messiah. Who thinks that this is interesting? So, and that belief goes back to way before Christ in the Old Testament. So I want us to catch the irony a little bit here. That when some of them believed that Jesus was Elijah or is like Elijah, some Jews in Jesus' day saw Jesus as the prelude to the Messiah rather than the Messiah himself. And so this really interested Jesus. This fascinated him about how are people actually appropriating who exactly am I and why am I here? And then still others, as Scripture says, they saw Jesus more like Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah had a nickname. He was called the weeping prophet. So some people thought that Jesus might be like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And if you read the book of Jeremiah over time, you can see there's different uh, stories in there where he weeps bitterly because of Israel's sin and because of captivity and all of that type of thing. And we know that there are different stories in the Bible where Jesus did weep. He weeped when, when Lazarus died. Uh, uh, before he, he kind of called him out of the grave. There were other times uh, when, when uh, also... Uh, when he entered Jerusalem before he was crucified, the Bible records that he got quite emotional and, 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 and was weeping. And I'm sure there are other times when he wept as well, just at the condition of people and that type of thing. But for people to actually have seen Jesus and to compare him to this prophet who was called the weeping prophet, there are probably a lot of times, not even recorded in the Bible, where Jesus was quite emotionally connected with situations and was so compassionate and wept. And then others, the scripture said, see Jesus as a, just an unnamed prophet. You know, he's, he, well, he's a prophet, but, you know, we don't really know exactly who he is. However, we know that his name was known and he made an impression on the culture of Israel. He made a big impression of the times that he was there. So let's go back to our text. Where am I going with this? You may be thinking. Jesus takes this question. He asks in general, who do they say that I am? He's directing it to the disciples. Who do they? 
Who do all the people that we've been influencing out there when we've been doing miracles and we've been doing ministry and we've been going out preaching the gospel, who do they say that I am? And all these different responses was a summary that the disciples gave. But then when we go back to our text, Jesus takes the question he asks generally to the disciples and then he makes it personal. Everyone say personal. He says this, that's who others think I am. What about you? What about you? Matthew 16, verse 15 says, But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Jesus is specifically asking his disciples in this text. But that, who knows that that's still a relevant question for you and I today? But who do you say that Jesus is? And in our world, every major religion has to grapple with this question. So let's go there, and then I'm going to link it to how this relates to the question about why do we do church? Because some have chosen, even in our day, some have chosen to answer the question of who is Jesus in different ways. The atheists would say that Jesus is, you know, a myth, or he's, you know, someone that the weak-minded lean on for a crutch. I mean, that's kind of maybe how they, they might put it. Uh, the Muslim may say that, well, Jesus is like a, like a prophet, like Muhammad. Um, others may say that, you know, Jesus was a very good moral teacher, but nothing more. But in the question is application. So you and I have to answer the same question. Now, why is this question? Even if you're sitting here as a Christian and you love Jesus, why is this question important? I'll tell you why. Because when you answer this question, who is Jesus? In it, there is a direct answer to why. Why church? So we need to start with who is Jesus and look at, look at this. And we're going to go to Scripture in a minute. Every one of us must make a choice as to who Jesus really is. Why do you and I say that Jesus is something? So let's now illustrate this a little bit. Who's with me? Who's with me? I'll ask it a third time. Some people still, I'm not sure. Who's with me? Okay, that's better. All right. So it's important that we make this determination, okay? Because what we believe about Jesus will determine what we think about the church. Let me say that again. What we believe about Jesus, not just religiously, what we type in Facebook statuses, but in our heart, what we believe about Jesus will determine what we think about the church. It's a question that has to be answered with conviction. So as we look at our text, listen to how Peter responds. Now remember, Peter is one of the 12 disciples that Jesus has been training for almost three years. So listen to how Peter responds. Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now understand that the word Messiah and the word Christ are one and the same. They're synonyms pretty much. So they both have the same meaning. They both mean chosen one. Everyone say chosen one. So in Jewish terms, they refer to the one that is anointed. And that anointing was a king. So don't miss the implication of what Peter professes. Peter has just answered, I believe you are the chosen king Jesus. I believe that you have come from God. Peter is making a bold, heartfelt statement of revelation that's full 
of conviction. That's how he answers that. But it's also, more importantly, it's this. That answer is a declaration of allegiance. So beyond this, I think Peter is also implying something. When he says this so strongly, Peter is also saying, not only are you the one chosen to be king, but I want to be part of your kingdom when you take your throne. That's what he's saying. By declaring, why? Why do I know this? Why would this be true? Because in the culture, he was actually, by declaring that Jesus was king, by declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, which means the king, the anointed one, the one that should rule and reign, by him declaring that in the day where actually Israel was run and led by Rome, he actually committed treason against the law of the land. By Peter declaring that answer, come on now, By him saying that, he actually committed treason against Caesar. Now, no one was probably around to hear it, but he actually committed treason. Because in the law of the land, no one was king but Caesar. So not only was he declaring, not only did he get revelation, not only did he eyeball Jesus and respond to his question, who do you, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And when he said, you are the Messiah, he's saying, you are the King. And because of that, he's not only saying that you are the King in comparison to Caesar, he's saying, you're the King. You're the one upon that. And he's knowing that Caesar ruling the the land, he's pretty much saying, you are the King. And by him saying, you are the King, he's saying that I'm committing treason against the law of the land, and I want to be part of your kingdom. Come on now. By him saying, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. He's not just declaring who you are, but he's saying, and I'm on board and I'm with you. That's what he's saying. Peter was making a risky, everyone say risky, a risky declaration. And I also don't want us to miss this personal element of this. When you and I choose to become Christ followers, who here is a Christ follower? Awesome. We make the same declaration of allegiance to Jesus, the King, and therefore to His kingdom. How many of you, before you were baptized, made this confession? I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take Him to be my Lord, in brackets, Master, King, close bracket, and Savior. Who confessed that at some point in their life? Who lives by that same confession right now? Awesome. Oh, good. So we call that the good confession. I mean, it's a good confession. It's aligned to the truth. We have eternal life. We've been saved. But the confession we make is a pledge to become part of the kingdom in which Jesus is ruler. Oh, come on now. What is that kingdom? Listen to how Jesus describes the kingdom. And he describes it after Peter declares him to be the king. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus replied. This is straight after Peter answers the question when Jesus says, Well, who do you say that I am? And then he declares it. You are the king. The son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who thinks that that's an important part of Scripture? Maybe just a little bit important. Now, like a good piece of steak, let's bite it up into pieces and chew on it. Right? To get some nourishment and strength. Remember I said at the beginning of this message, I felt the Holy Spirit was saying that one of the purposes behind this message was to rally us. Now, in this interesting book called Come Back Churches by uh, two Christian authors called Ed Stezer and Mike Dodson. They wrote the book together. It's called Come Back Churches. They give 10 reasons why Jesus chose the church. And I want to explore three of them today. And looking at the scripture that we just read and breaking up to get the revelation about why the church Why? Why do we go to church? Why are you here? Let's have a look. First reason. I'm going to look at scripture here. The first one is this. The church is the only New Testament institution that Jesus specifically promised to build and to bless. You're taking notes, I want you to write that down for me. The church is the only New Testament institution. Now, don't get religious on me because I'm using the word institution. Okay? Institution, organization, who knows that the God that we worship actually leads an army called the, the, Lord, the Lord's army or the army of the Lord? Come on now. Who knows that God leads the army of the Lord? Who here is a member of the army of the Lord? Who thinks that an army needs a bit of order, needs a bit of organization? Needs some rank, needs some, some hierarchy, needs some structure. That's why I say, if you're waiting for the kingdom of God to be like a democracy, you're going to wait a whole long, long time because it's not a democracy, it's a kingdom. And there are leaders appointed and every leader is submitted to someone. And so if you have a problem submission, you usually will always flow out of order to the operation of how the kingdom actually works and you'll never really feel fulfilled because you haven't learnt to just be okay with authority. <sighs> It's a kingdom. It's not a democracy. You might be invited to give your opinion, but you need to submit that opinion to your God-given leader. And if they're, if they're a healthy leader, they'll listen and they might take that on board, but they won't necessarily always fulfill it. And you need to be okay not offended if they don't do that because it's so funny when, you know, times we, we really want to, when we're in trouble, it's like, please, pastor, can you pray to God and, and, and get him to talk to you about what I need to do to break out of this issue? Of course I will. So in that moment, people are so easily wanting to trust your ability to hear the Holy Spirit to help to bless you. But then when that same pastor is called to pray to the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to, to give him instructions about what the church should do in terms of their vision and what they shouldn't do, and then he releases that vision, and then people go, well, I don't really know if we should be doing that. I think we should be doing this. 
The same pastor who they're like, oh, please pray because you can hear the Holy Spirit to give you instruction about how to help me with my issue. The same pastor. So we're really cool for the pastor to hear the Holy Spirit and put our trust in that when it's to fix our problem. But sometimes we've got issues allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to our pastor and give him instructions. And we don't necessarily trust that at the same level that we trust for him to solve our problems with the Holy Spirit. Come on now. That wasn't in my message. <laughs> the church is the only... So, yeah, institution. Uh, if, you, if something in your little body went... He just used the word institution. Um, I want to encourage you. You probably need to pray about that. Because that's a little issue there that's probably digging there about authority and structure and whatever. And there's a lot of Christians in the body of Christ who don't like structure. They don't like order. And usually they're the ones that kind of never really quite break through because they never get into the order of the flow of the army of the Lord. So, did you catch this? Peter is blessed because he's confession. And Jesus says on that confession, he will build his church. So think about this. Jesus never specifically promised to bless the independent order of odd fellows or fellows. He never said that he would bless the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. He didn't say specifically that I'm going to build and bless any other types of gatherings. But he did clearly say that he was going to, on that revelation that Peter had, he was going to build and bless his church. We're going to look at this. So one of the reasons why church, why you've got to be into church, on board with church, into church, on board with church. I'll say one time, I could kind of do a rap here. Into church, on board with church, involved in church, okay with church, talking positively about church, moving beyond your issues with church is because Jesus Christ, it's the only uh, kind of united thing that he, now he, I'm not saying that he doesn't bless other things. He'll bless your business. He'll bless a nation. But he never actually specifically said, apart from the church, that he will build it and bless it. I'm sure he does build and bless other things. Amen. But he specifically highlights that this is, this is a key. He didn't even say that he would uh, build and bless Christian colleges. Now, these organizations and institutions have a place, but they never specifically receive that specific promise from Jesus in Scripture. The only New Testament institution that Jesus promised to bless was the church. I could actually even make the point that that also includes nations. Now, we know there's lots of Old Testament prophecy about nations, and we know even as a church here, particularly at our annual Dominion Conference, we talk about Australia being blessed. And I believe that as we prophesy and we decree and we intercede and we fight for nations, we're fighting for the territory of the kingdom of God and the blessing of God and the favor of God to be upon nations and territories and communities and all that type of thing. But when we go back to Jesus Christ's words in Scripture, in the New Testament, there was one key thing that he declared and promised that he would build and that he would bless, and that was the church. So if that's true, if there's truth to this focus, I want to say this. The kingdom of God will not be built on Australianism. Where am I going with this? Australianism. What is Australianism? Casual, laid back, easygoing. 
She'll be right, mate. She'll be right. In a minute, I'm going to pre-warn you. I'm going to send out a mighty, awesome, loving challenge. Is everyone okay with that? Challenge with love. So the kingdom of God is not necessarily built on the values of our nation. Some of the values of our nation will be related to the kingdom of God, but there'll be some of our values that aren't directly related to the kingdom of God. So the church is not going to be built on casual attendance, casual connection, casual commitment, casual focus, casual importance. Australianism. She'll be right, mate. It'll be right. You'll be right. Yeah. You'll be right. Kingdom of God is not always defined by Australian values. The reason why I think Australia has been blessed is because it started with some kingdom principles. But it is not the kingdom. Australia is an amazing nation. I love it. I die for this country. But it is not the kingdom of God itself. The church of Jesus Christ is the kingdom. So if we want to be the church, if we want to be built and to be blessed like Jesus promises that he would build and bless the church, we need to make sure we are acting as Christ followers before we act as Australians. Meaning, here comes the challenge with love. Yeah, I'm Australian. Love my lifestyle. Beach, sun, sand, wind in my hair, footy, beer in my hand, pie, Zinc on my face. I'm into this, into that. Support this, don't like that. She'll be right. Don't be too intense. Be casual, relaxed. Oh, one day. Jesus, right. Jesus, I believe in you. Huh. Huh. Didn't think that would happen. But you're real. You're real in my heart. Just give my heart to you. So, wow. Flaming fluties. Well, Jesus, you're king. Your church is a kingdom. It's part of the kingdom. It's part of the plan. Better get involved. Better get on board. Better get into it. Oh, but I'm Australian. And it's a nice day. And it's Sunday. Oh, yeah. Go to the beach with me mates. Heard the Goldie, the water's looking pretty good on the Goldie lately. Heard the coffee's smelling really good in Mount Tambourine lately. New cafe open. Go to church. Mm, Maybe not this week. Might go next week. Because I'm Australian. I've got a great lifestyle. I love my life because I'm laid back. I'm easy going. She'll be right, mate. The church. She'll be right, mate. The beach. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not defined by Australian values. Are you a Christian before you're an Australian? Why the church? 
The church is the only New Testament organization, institution, gathering, vehicle, weapon of warfare that Jesus Christ himself, the person who you've given allegiance to, who's the king of that kingdom, which is expressed through the advancement of his church. He specifically promised to build it and to bless it. If he specifically promised to do it, he wants to do it and he wants his people on board. It's a challenge, but with love. See, the really cool thing is if we actually act as the church, not like just acting like Australians who kind of go to church every now and then, but if we actually act as the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones who are called to build the kingdom of our king, Even if all the other institutions falter, the banks, the schools, the universities, the media, the businesses, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, the Lifesavers, if all those institutions falter, even if they are dismantled, even when they're forgotten, the kingdom of God, the church, will still stand. It's Jesus' guarantee So the reason number one, why the church, Jesus made a New Testament promise to build it and to bless it. Number two, everyone say number two. The reason number two, why the church, not just what we do, but why, why, why the church. And remember, I'm only giving three from 10 that was in this book and there's more than 10. But we just want to focus on a couple of these today. The church will ultimately triumph. This is reason number two. The church will ultimately triumph both universally and locally. Jesus says in our text that we've looked at, the gates of hell will not stand against it. The church is Jesus' choice. Catch this now. The church is our God, Jesus, the church is his choice of offensive weapons, offense. We are marching on the gates of hell. Question, why are gates built to keep people out? So are gates offensive or defensive? Gates are strictly for defense. And where does Jesus say the gates are attached? Hades, not on the church, So if this is true, then our job as the kingdom is to sharpen and use our offensive skills. As the church, we are an offensive weapon. Because the gates that are called to stop the advancement of the living church of Jesus Christ, those gates that are trying to defend against our offense will not prevail. So if we know universally, globally, and locally, the church ultimately is going to win then how excited about that are you? That you'd actually want to go, oh, I need to kind of be the church, not just kind of casually go to church. It's revelation, church. It's what revelation? What revelation do you have? And I'm not talking about just getting the revelation first time. You need to keep refining this revelation because you will lose it at times. It's called routine and it's called religion. 
And that, Scripture says, is death on the inside. When you have the revelation of not just Jesus, but if you have the revelation of why the church in your belly, the sand on the Gold Coast may be alluring. Now, don't get me wrong. I love giving balance. We go away for holidays, weekends, wait. Now, for those of you who may be sitting here thinking, there's a couple of people I want to quickly talk to. You may have come to our church for quite a few seasons. And you'll hear every now and then I'll bring a challenging message like this. There are some people that never quite respond to these messages. I just had a chat to Pastor Ben Notaker, who's a friend of our house, just last Sunday after church. And I asked him, you know, you travel and you do itinerant. You know, do you observe church attendance getting more and more casual? And he goes, yep, it happens everywhere because people are more into their lifestyle and rah, 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 rah. Can I say this to you? Ben and I were talking and Sarah was there. And there are some people who, for the rest of their lives on planet Earth, will kind of come once a month and, and, that, and that's their choice. And they'll hear this message and it'll kind of challenge them, but it won't really challenge them to the point where they get the revelation for themselves and they'll kind of keep doing the thing that they keep doing. And you know what? You ready? We still love you. We still welcome you here. We still want you here when you want to come. We'll still support you. We'll still encourage you. We'll still love on you. We'll still listen to you. We'll still pray for you. We'll still minister to you. We'll still care about you. We'll still hope that your dreams and visions come to pass. We'll pray for your breakthrough in your family. We'll still be here as a loving family to support you, even though that's your choice. Watch this. But I, I still have to preach what the Holy Spirit asks me to preach without fear of offending people who never really want to grab a hold of this message. As as convincing and as convicting as, as it is, there's going to be some people who go, mm, I think it. <laughs> and you know what? We'll still love you. But that can't be the reason why I never preach it. Because then what will happen over time is that, you know, there'll always be people on the peripheral in church. And again, let me be very clear. We're still called to love them. We'll still support them, that kind of thing. There'll always be the, you know, front of the army. Woo! But then there's a middle group. Okay, I'm just sharing from a pastoral point of view, from a shepherding point of view, I've got to understand the different types of categories of sheep under my care. This is what the Holy Spirit shows me. This is what Sarah and I talk about. I'm just being transparent up front with you. We've got people who are kind of, you know, they're the front of the army. They're the chargers. They'll always be there. Even if, you know, they're not feeling 100%, they'll be there. Okay? That, you've got to have some of those people in your army. Then you'll always have kind of some people, the peripheral edges, you know, one week they'll kind of sit down and do their own thing. Next week they'll get up and they'll rally with you. Next week they won't. It might take three weeks off and then they'll come back. That's okay. When you're here, we're excited. When you're here, we're like, great to see you. When we're here, we're like, hey, let's pray for you. How are things going? We'll, we won't go, oh, you haven't been here regularly, so, you know, see you later. We're still going to, hey, come on, come on in. Awesome, great to see you. That's what we're called to do. We're still called to love people. But there is a middle group. 
who we know the reality of life, that there'll be seasons when you kind of want to get involved and then you kind of slip back and you get here and blah, blah, blah. And I know that if we don't preach these kind of messages every now and then, that the reality is life is like usually you're on an escalator, that's, a travelator that's going the opposite way. Ever been on a travelator that's going the opposite way? That's tr- no, not the treadmill. Like a treadmill, yes, going the opposite way, right? Life's like that. So if I don't preach these messages and we just talk about, you know, talking about how we do life well and looking at Scripture and how Jesus can bless and how Jesus can help you to break through. But if we don't do some rallying cry sometimes, what happens is the middle of the pack will bit by bit, slowly by surely, because of just the reality of life, be kind of losing motivation or losing the revelation of why, church? And when you lose the revelation of why, church, more and more people start coming less and less regularly. And that's just the basic dynamic of faith and atmosphere. So, good news is, I don't have to ask you permission for what I get to preach. Holy Spirit tells me what to preach. This message is not designed to offend anyone at all. We want you to feel very welcome here. But I want to encourage you that sometimes, wherever you're sitting, maybe this message just might be needed for you today. If you're called to really know why, in a fresh way. Why the church? Why is it not just a club that you go to every now and then? Why is it not designed to be like that? So we're talking about that this church is going to win. Let me say this. This church, I'm going to speak specifically. I talked about globally local. So we're a local church. This church, Jesus has promised, is winning. It may not be looking like it's winning 100% in all different areas, but it's winning. It's got the hand of victory over it. And we're called to win long term. So we're going to win. Who here has ever seen Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox? I love that. I love that. Particularly, I love the second one, which is all about the future. You know, the hoverboard. Oh, I love that movie. Michael J. Fox, right? And he gets in the car, he travels to the future, and he sees uh, this, this um, s- magazine that he picks up that's told him who's won the World Series for all the past years. And his plan is to return to the past and place a large bet on the World Series. He had seen the results, so it wasn't a gamble. It was a sure thing. Everyone say, sure thing. So I'm not encouraging gambling, but you can bet on the local church because it's a sore, sure thing. Now, for those of you who didn't clap excitedly, (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) What's the difference between someone who kind of really owns it and someone who doesn't quite get it? Revelation. Jesus said, what are the keys of the kingdom is revelation? Now, you may not have clapped, but you may be excited on the, on, the, on the inside. That's okay. I'm not making a comment there. But get this. If you don't get excited at someone, even if it's probably on the inside, there's something wrong. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something wrong. It's not necessarily like really bad, but there's something wrong. It's called you've lost revelation. 
right? So part of my job right now is to give that back to you. So on the inside, if you're kind of resisting the message a little bit, but you just realize it's actually probably something that you need, I need you to open your heart up (laughs) to receive some medicine. Because you may not be 100% healthy on the inside. If we knew who the winners would be, it wouldn't be a gamble. It would be a sure thing. Jesus in this passage guarantees the sure thing. The gates of Hades will not be able to stand against the church. That should be encouraging about being the church. Not just attending church, but being the church. So reason number two, why the church? The church will ultimately triumph both universally and locally. You have already won. But again, that won't excite you if you don't get that revelation. You've got to get that revelation on the inside of you. All right, reason number three. Everyone say number three. Why the church? The church is the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. The church is the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. Where do I see that? Where is there truth in Scripture about that? Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. There is a direct relationship between the seen and the unseen. There's a direct relationship promised between the spiritual and the material. This takes place in the context of the church. The church is the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. Have you ever recited the model prayer? Let's have a look at the model prayer that Jesus gave us. Thy kingdom come, and I'm going to do thy's just because some of us got taught that in school. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. It's the same concept. So if this is true, then when people look at the church within the community, they should see a little piece of heaven. The church is supposed to be the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. Now I know that there's going to be a couple of people here, myself included sometimes, who are thinking the church sometimes is far from the reality of heaven. Everyone say, everyone turn to your neighbor and say, that's okay. So remember that we are an imperfect expression. Scripture tells us that right now we see dimly as if looking at our image in the price of like dull metal or through frosted glass. So while the church is to be an expression of the heavenly reality, we see it and we do so imperfectly. But that does not excuse us from not reflecting heaven at all. The church, why the church? Because it's an expression, it's a reflection of the reality of heaven. If you don't have church, if we don't do church, if we don't be the church, then we're not actually aligning to the plan of Jesus to bring a reality church, 
reality check on planet Earth that there is a thing called heaven and that there is an amazing God called light. His name is Jesus. And that we're actually supposed to glorify or reflect the reality of heaven on Earth. So if the church was to die or dim or go backwards, it means the darkness gets darker, the light gets less. You and I are called to be the church because we have to bring the light of heaven to the reality of earth to push back the darkness. So see, people see a difference. People see that we stand out. People see that we're glorifying God. People see the reality, the manifestations of miracles, power, healing, anointing, breakthrough in people's lives. When they call out the name of Jesus, that they shall be saved. Come on! Come on! Be rallied today! On the inside. (laughs) So what if we took this idea of the church and people had this revelation and got this revelation and heard messages like this to rejuvenate that revelation? To protect that revelation. A church that has people fired up. Living with purpose. Living with clarity about why they're doing this thing called church. Why they are the church. Why they go to church. Why? They're involved in church. Why? And then, seeing injustices being dealt with, seeing the power of sin being pushed back in people's lives, seeing the glorious, victorious Word of God rising up in people's mouths, seeing people grow in the ability to pray and to push back on the advancement of hell over families, seeing marriages restored, seeing children who have, who have got sickness being healed, seeing families experience miracles and breakthroughs, seeing the kingdom of God advancing in the community, seeing the kingdom of God advancing in the marketplace, seeing the church arising and being all powerful, uh, being all wise, but not necessarily 100% all the time because it's a fraction. It's like, you know, when we talk about people prophesy in part, the reality is, is that nothing's going to be 100% whole and perfect until the day comes when the Lord comes and takes us home and Hallelujah. Don't allow the imperfections of the church to be the the reason why. The revelation of why the church dies on the inside of you. Let me say that again. Do not allow the imperfections of the church to be the reason why the revelation of why the church dies on the inside of you. Do not allow the imperfections of the church to be the reason why the revelation of why the church dies on the inside of you. Do not let the imperfections of the church be the reason why the revelation of why the church dies on the inside of you. Do not let the imperfections of the church be the reason why the revelation of why the church dies on the inside of you. I could stand here and say that 20 more times because I love repetition. (laughs) Plus, I know repetition, repetition helps to embed. And what do we need to have embedded today or refreshed today? The embedding of the revelation why. 
moment of vulnerability, moment of transparency, moment of honesty. I'm preaching this at a level of passion today because I've recently gone through this journey of saying, God, why? Can you remind me again why? I myself have said, why? I know what, but hang on a second. There's something about the revelation of why that's become a bit dull. God, I need to hang out with you. I need, I need you to help me here. I need a fresh sharpening on the inside of me, in my heart and my spirit to know why. So no one's exempt from this. It's just a good old cleanup on the inside. And we need it every now and then. So we've looked at the questions, why the church? I'm just going to ask um, just one muser to come. Thank you. So we've looked at the questions, why the church? We have seen that the answer is tied to another question. Who is Jesus? Let me say that again. We've looked at this question, why the church? And we've seen that the answer is tied to the question, who is Jesus? See, if Jesus is your king, and you look at this part of Scripture... It's just three. There's many more reasons why the church. But in summary today, if Jesus is king of the kingdom, and if I follow Jesus, what then is my response to his, his, his church? Why should the church be important? In my life? Why should the church be more important than my Australian lifestyle? Because the church is the only New Testament organization that Jesus specifically promised to build and to bless. Because the church will ultimately triumph both universally and locally. You don't need to gamble on it, you've already won. It's a sure thing. And third, the church is the earthly expression of the heavenly reality. It's a way, it's the vehicle that Jesus chose as the offensive weapon to push back the gates of Hades, to push back the kingdom of darkness. The church is the chosen vehicle, the chosen offensive weapon that Christ has used to reflect the reality of heaven, the the reality of the victory of God, the reality of eternity, the reality that that the lamb that was once slain has risen again, the reality of the truth of all time that will be and will always be is reflected through this imperfect, sometimes not so fantastic, with a few blemishes and warts, maybe a bit of BO every now and then, body of Christ called the church. I want to share this with you. As a church, we're moving forward. We're sharpening our why. Forever house. Live with purpose. That's our new why. Everyone say live with purpose. Live with purpose. Let's unpack the word purpose. Why? Not just what am I called to do? What am I doing? But why? Live with purpose. That's our new why. As a church community, that's how we're expressing it. Live with purpose. Why? 
forever house. Live with purpose. What is our vision? We're called to reach. We're called to love. We're called to grow. We're called to build. And we're called to establish. What I love about those five words is in a simple way, they're reflecting on the five-fold ministry expression of the body of Christ. We're called to reach evangelism. We're called to love pastoring. We're called to, to grow, teaching people the Word of God, instructing them, discipling them. We're called to build the prophetic, understanding how we're supposed to advance, cutting things off, helping to, to give direction and clarity about where we're supposed to be going. And we're called to establish the apostolic. We're called to raise up leaders, help people to advance, how to help to actually expand the territory of the local church. Our values. Everyone say spirit. Everyone say strength. Everyone say substance. Everyone say success. And everyone say significance. You're going to be hearing a lot more about our why. Live with purpose. Our values. To reach. To love. To grow. To build. And to establish. Did I just say vision or values? I did. Did I say vision? Then, yeah, there were our five vision. And our five values, spirit, strength, substance, success, significance. Everyone close your eyes in this place. As you've got your eyes closed, I hear the Lord say this. I hear the Lord saying this to every individual. So where do we go from here? It's like he's got his coaching hat on, church. And rather just telling you the answer, like Jesus many times in Scripture did, he's asking you the question. So where do we go from here? Holy Spirit, as everyone's just talking to you privately, I thank you, Lord, that there is an anointing here to bring life and to bring new, fresh revelation. Lord, I thank you that you teach us in your word that revelation is a powerful, supernatural realization from heaven about a happening or a reason or a why or direction. And so I thank you, Lord, right now that there'd be an anointing here to refresh the revelation of why the church. And Lord, to birth the revelation of why the church, where maybe it was never experienced before. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we are called as a church to love all different types of people. Father, we know, God, that not everyone is called to be a Marine right at the front of the army. And Lord, sometimes we know that there are people who will always choose to be on the peripheral. And Lord, sometimes we know there are people who feel more to be positioned in the middle of the pack. That always, importantly, sometimes need a fresh rallying. But Lord, wherever everyone in this place is, no matter where they are, 
and no matter how they respond. Father, I thank you that ultimately we can decree over everyone here that we're called to love every person. That we're called to encourage everyone. Having said that, Lord, I pray that whoever you know needs to hear this message and needs to be encouraged today to be rallied and to be refreshed and reminded about not just the what, but more importantly, why. Lord, release that revelation. In Jesus' name, release it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing privately in people's hearts. I thank you, Lord, for miracles here today. I pray for healing. I pray for restoration, Lord. I pray for renewed faith. Beautiful God. Awesome, Jesus. We love you, God. We love you, Lord. I'm just going to ask the team to hand out. We love you, God. Just feel just to minister to a couple of people as our team. We're just going to finish today by taking communion. Where is young Matthew? He's picking up the pizza. What a servant, awesome guy he is. That's an important job. Amen. I'll give him this prophetic word later then. <laughs> Who knows that that's an important job? <laughs> the pizza. Cool. There's a couple of other people that I actually had a word for, but I think they're in kids' church. Father, I pray right now, just show me who you'd like me to minister to as we're waiting for communion to be handed out. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Dallas, you stand. I've got to wait for you. You get to record your own word. How cool is that? Let's just put our hands towards Pastor Dallas. Father, I thank you, Lord, for, for this amazing woman of God. I thank you, Lord, for this season and for her family, for her husband, Rod. I thank you, Lord, for her son, Nathaniel. I thank you, Lord, for all the steps that you've got planned before her. And I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage and strengthen her right now. Pastor Dallas, I hear the Lord saying that this is an exciting season of sharpening for you, where the Lord is going to sharpen your focus and sharpen what you put your hand to. I hear the Lord say that even though you're coming out of a season of busyness and lots of things, I hear the Lord saying it was a good season of laboring hard, laboring with focus. But I hear God now saying that He's wanting to renew and refine the purpose behind everything that you're doing. And I hear the Lord say that as He does that, that you will get a sensing, a stronger sensing of, of a sharpening of what you're doing and what you're putting your time to. I hear the Lord saying this, less for you in this season will be more. And I hear God's wanting to release a mantle of delegation upon you. And I hear the Lord saying that He's going to equip you with the ability to delegate more than you've ever delegated in your whole life. And I see you delegating in the workplace. I see you even delegating at home. (laughs) 
Is Nathaniel here? He's probably thinking, hallelujah to that. Not. <laughs> but I hear even in, in the home, it's kind of like there's, a bit, there's some delegation that the Lord's going to speak to you and rot about. But I also see in ministry, it's now a time where you'd be doing a lot. And I hear the Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But I hear the Lord saying now, he's transitioning out of a season of doing into a season of mobilizing. And I hear God saying that he's going to speak to you. But I hear the Lord saying it's important not to promote people too quickly. But I hear the Lord saying that as they're tested and proven, then you're going to raise up other leaders underneath you. And you're going to come into your own, says the Lord. You're going to come into a season of coaching. You're going to come into a season of mentoring. You're going to come into a season of equipping. And you're going to come into a season of encouraging. And I hear the Lord saying that He's also bringing even more of a refining balance, even though you're already well-balanced. There's even going to be more of a balance. Like I hear the word, uh, like, like a target, like, a, like a, a bullseye zone, where you're going to know even more how to minister with that balance of challenge with love and love with challenge. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these next steps in this new season. And I hear the Lord saying this, live with purpose. Lord, release that anointing, Father, for her to live with purpose, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pour in. Pour in, Lord. Pour in. Pour in, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Refreshing, God. Thank you, Lord. Awesome. Who knows that God absolutely loves just the individual? That God would want to just take one person and just minister a particular message. So cool, his heart towards people. Well, as we've got communion in our hand, again, I just want you to focus on what the Lord's done in your life. And in reflection and response to this message, he's King of Kings and his church is the vehicle where he wants to see you positioned and planted and activated and to grow, but also to encourage others. Because the church is a representation of heaven on earth. But it's an imperfect representation. I hear the Lord saying this. Today I'm plucking out, says God, I'm plucking out some thorns. Plucking out just some prickles. I'm removing some prickles. I'm removing some things that have caused people to focus and dwell on the imperfections of the church and therefore forgotten how glorious and how miraculous the church of Jesus Christ is, how precious it is. How wonderful it is. Lord, as we focus on you, King Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, that you you broke 
and busted your body on the cross for us. And you shed your blood for us. So that we could be an inheritor of your kingdom. That we are the kingdom. We are part of it. We're an ingredient of the kingdom. We are born into the church of Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we take communion today, Father, we release a fresh honor towards you. And a fresh honor towards the church, your beautiful bride, who one day, Lord, not today, but who one day will be without blemish, because that's your promise. The church of Jesus Christ that will be victorious and will win. Lord, we just honor what you've done. Beautiful God. As we take the cup, we take the bread. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and just thank you. Awesome, God. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. We love you. Isn't God good? He's a great God. Amazing how much better you feel when you focus on that and not the other stuff. Yeah.